I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. I am so happy you've joined us for today's podcast. Today's podcast deals with a pretty heavy topic, which is what all goes into giving sexual consent to a partner. And while we talk here about what has gone right in the field of consent, we also talk about the ways it has gone horribly wrong. In this discussion here today, we're not talking about overt violations such as rape or sexual assault. Those types of behaviors are obviously wrong, and we'll leave that topic for another day. As far as consent is concerned, I've always thought that consent was pretty simple. I figured that obviously no means no, and yes means yes. Now, obviously that remains true, but there's really so much more involved in this topic. I brought in Dr. Alexandra Katahakis to discuss consent with me, but in order to do that, we also talk about the masculine-feminine dynamic, the patriarchy that we've all been stuck in throughout history, how men and women experience arousal differently, as well as what we all need to do in order to pave the way for healthier sexual consent and interactions. You know, you might find yourself agreeing with some of what's said here, and you might find yourself disagreeing. Both of those are okay. You might even get angry because this conversation brings up feelings from previous encounters that you've had regardless of which side you were on. The most important thing is that we all try our best to talk about these issues that don't get talked about in everyday life, and we're attempting to do it with some heart and compassion. Dr. Alexandra Katahakis is a PhD, a marriage and family therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist, a certified sex therapist, and she's clinical director of the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles. Dr. Katahakis has extensive experience in working with a full spectrum of sexuality, from sexual addiction to sex therapy, as well as problems of sexual desire and sexual dysfunction for both individuals and couples. She has successfully facilitated the recovery of many sexually addicted individuals and assisted couples in revitalizing their sex lives. She earned her PhD from the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. So take a deep breath and join me now for this in-depth conversation with Alex. Hello, Alex Katahakis. Hello, Greg Woodhill. I'm so happy you're here today. <laughs> Thank you. This is a topic I've heard you say that if people listen to it about consent, sexual consent, uh -huh. and they come away with more questions than answers, then we've done our job right. Right. Because it's not a simple topic. In fact, it's a really charged topic, yes? Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's been brought to our attention with the advent of the exposure of men in power yes. uh, coming to the foreground in the, I guess it was fall of 2017 now. Is that when you saw this topic of consent rise to to be really talked about in all different communities and pop yes, culture I think, as well? Yeah, I think the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. you know, ensued pretty quickly thereafter. And so, you know, women started coming forward with all of their grievances about the ways they've been treated by men, both in the workplace and not. And, yeah. 
So now consent is a hot topic. It's certainly a hot topic on college campuses. Yes. Um, and, um, and of course, you know, it's not just millennials, but the I generation behind them starting, uh, starting to lead the charge in some of these conversations early on. Great. Yeah. Uh, it's something that's been missing for a long time. I'm confused on this topic, <laughs> and I'm hoping maybe you can unconfuse me and maybe people who are listening right now. I have always thought that if you perceive with any of your senses that the person you're being sexual with is uncomfortable, doesn't want it, seems to be checking out, or says anything to the contrary, that that means that you check in and stop if necessary. Why isn't that just what happens? What am I missing here? Well, I think, first of all, most people aren't like you. Okay. (laughs) Um, And we also have to take into consideration that you know, people are so, so uniquely different. Mm-hmm. And what their life experience is, is implicitly emblazoned in their brain and in their body. And we all react differently under different circumstances. Okay. So the definition of consent is to give approval, right, to assent. And um, it means a, a sort of compliance or approval of what's going to be done or proposed by another person. Yes. So we do not have a culture, first of all, of sex education to begin with. So people are really uncomfortable um, about talking about sex, yes. and they have shame about sex, and they have sex anyway, even though they're ashamed. They maybe know that they have pain during sex, or they dissociate, mm-hmm. um, or they don't even know what sex is about. They just do it anyway. And it's kind of like deciding, like if I decide today I'm going to go to the beach and surf because yes. I know how to boogie board, <laughs> and I end up hitting my head or drinking water, you know, and tumbling around because I don't know what I'm doing. But hey, I've been in the ocean before. I've boogie boarded before, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't say, how's surfing different than boogie boarding? Mm. And what kind of precautions do I need to take? Sure. Because I want to look cool. Yeah. So people aren't doing that with sex. They're not educated in the first place. That's right. And then it's would you say, an embarrassing or a shameful thing for them to come forward and say, hey, I need help. I need instruction. I don't know what to do. That's right. And neither men or women, when they're in the process of either getting to know each other or dating, or even if it's a hookup, mm-hmm. even if you just meet somebody on Bumble and you have the first date and decide to have sex with them, there's not a conversation that says, hey, what kind of sex do you like? Mm. Um, let me tell you what I'm into. And if I tell you that over you know, a drink or dinner, you may be like, okay, I'm out. It was nice to meet. <laughs> you but we're, we're done now right. or that's interesting and even in that if we were to take let's say an example that's pretty um graphic like let's say uh both parties say they're into rough sex yes but rough sex for you and rough sex for me may be very very different sure and so we're like great we're both into rough sex and then we get into bed and it's like someone's feeling like oh my god mm-hmm. this is not what i thought this was sure Your rough sex is much different than mine. Because we didn't define it. So is there an easy answer as to why people don't talk about this out loud and come to any sort of a consensus? Why don't people communicate openly? I I think it has to do with, first of all, embarrassment first and shame second. And there are slightly different feelings in the body. Shame feels you know, sort of hot and you feel collapsed and you just don't, you can't speak generally. Mm, But it takes a lot of assertion and confidence for both a male or a female to say, this is really awkward or uncomfortable. I don't, you know, it's kind of a buzzkill, but Mm. I really need to talk about this because consent is not a one and done thing. 
Ah, tell us more about that. Well, it's not just like, yes, I want to have sex with you, but it's more an ongoing proposition. So during the process of having sex, both parties get to say, I need to stop or slow down, or can we change the position or the rhythm, or hey, I don't really like that that much. Yeah, yeah I said you could pull my hair, but that's it feels like you're tearing my hair out of my scalp. Mm. Or even, <laughs> I wanted you to pull my hair, but now that we're doing it, something feels off and I That's want to right, stop. exactly. Sure. So it's really about... You know, what is the feeling that the person is having either during sex or how do they feel afterwards? And if you feel good afterwards and that was fun and you're excited, then great. But if you don't feel so good afterwards, then that's a sign to you that you need to change what you're doing or change how you're communicating to the other person. Yeah. Well, there's so many pathways from what you've already said. I want to touch on one of them first, which is that men and women experience arousal differently in situations like this, yes? Right. Can you explain to us what that difference is? Well, it depends, again, on the age of the people and who the people are. So, you know, there are studies that show that um, women experience desire after arousal. Okay. Um, so women take longer to get sexually aroused usually, and we're talking about vaginal lubrication mm-hmm. when we talk about arousal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some women need more foreplay, um, they need more conversation. Their bodies need to feel, first of all, they have to read in you know deeply in their brain and bodies that they're safe. Yes. And once they're safe, then they can trust. And once they can trust, they can surrender to the process of sex. Mm-hmm. Because sex is about giving up control. So it's in that process of surrender and trust and arousal that then she will notice that she starts to feel more desirous of her partner, right? So she starts to get more heated, perhaps more erotic, um, more abandoned. Whereas men's, you know, arousal cycles are very different. They can visually look at someone and say, okay, I'm I'm sexually aroused. I'm ready to go. I desire that. Yes. (laughs) And that, so the green light happens in general for men when the visual and body stimulation happens. For women, it's much more nuanced. That's right. So a man, assuming that it's the same for both, that if we're making out furiously on my couch and we're mm-hmm. heavy petting, we're both in, we're both ready for this, but but that's not necessarily true. Well, it's not necessarily true because even though she's having that feeling, it doesn't mean she wants to keep going. Uh. So one of the things I've talked about uh, before is that Women tend to acquiesce to men, even though they say, they may even say at the beginning of an encounter that they don't want to have sex. And then they get into a sexual experience like you're talking about, heavy petting, making out on the sofa, and then they end up going through with sex. Okay. Right? And they're able to orgasm, and then afterwards they're angry. Or they feel upset with themselves. Or they feel like, you know what? Why I told him I didn't want to have sex. Yeah. And he went through it with it anyway because he's getting green lights because yes. she's wet and she's moaning and she's kissing him and sure. meeting him. What he doesn't understand is she can stop right there. And be happy. And be happy and fine. Yeah. But he now is, you know, his prefrontal cortex is not necessarily online. Right. Um, and he's ready to just go to completion. This question here could launch a five-hour conversation, but in generalities, why in those moments that you're aware of do women acquiesce as opposed to speaking up? Because I imagine there are a lot of valid reasons why they don't. Well, there are. I mean, one of them is sort of the general kind of rules of the patriarchy, which we are, you know, those horns and red lights are glaring and blaring right now uh, with what's going on in our culture with this abortion issue. Yes. Okay. So men rule 
And women have been conditioned from the beginning of time to acquiesce and serve the masculine, wow. right? To worship the masculine, even in, in nature. And so she will often override her needs in order to make him happy wow. because she doesn't want to create a scene. I mean, I asked my 22-year-old niece this question who's, you know, very bright and actualized. And I asked her, you know, if her friends talk about this. And she said, yes. Mm. And she said, you know, young women do this because... It's just, they don't want to hurt the guy's feelings. She doesn't want to um, lose him. And she doesn't, it's like less of a hassle just to go through with it, even though she doesn't really want to. So when you talk about the patriarchy like this, Alex, I mean, first of all, I feel sad hearing that this this is what many women go through. And I've always thought of the patriarchy incorrectly as men are in power and the women don't want it but but the women know they can't fight against it so the men just keep asserting this power whereas a bit of what you're talking about is it's just been this centuries or millennia long thing that we all collude in right that is unhealthy right the fish doesn't know it's in water right is really what we're talking about yeah. here and these are implicit social rules and depending on the culture you live in they can be very very strong if we just look at the south for example i think many women in the south adhere to this good girl code and acquiesce and keep their place because yeah. it's the socially polite thing to do yeah um and that doesn't mean they're not bright and educated and actualized sure. i think when you live in a major metropolitan area in some pockets like Los Angeles, New York, we are trying to deconstruct these matters just by conversations like mm-hmm. this yeah. of saying, wow, I'm doing this for the wrong reason. Yeah. I'm not doing this because I really want to. I'm doing it to please the other person because I'm afraid. Yes. So if consent isn't solely about yes means yes, no means no, it's fluid and it isn't dependent on what someone said five minutes ago or one minute ago or an hour ago. It's moment to moment. So right. what all goes into consent that anyone in sexual situations needs to be aware of and be paying attention to? Well, I think sex is a you know funny and wonderful and amazing thing because it's really the closest thing two people can do, whether they are in a same-sex union or opposite-sex union, to connect with each other. Um, And it also feels incredibly pleasurable. Mm -hmm. You know, there Mm -hmm. are like billions of nerve endings in the clitoris. The sole (laughs) purpose of the clitoris is pleasure, period. It does nothing else. And so ejaculation, orgasm feels really wonderful. And in order for us to get up over that arousal threshold, we do have to stop thinking because we know that men who are thinking and obsessing with performance anxiety have hard time with erection sure. ejaculation so that part of the brain has to go offline there's so got to be tricky isn't it it's what tricky. we're basically saying is be in the moment that's be right emotional, be passionate but, <laughs> but pay attention your brain and pay, exactly. you know, you use your brain and use your prefrontal cortex to be paying attention to your partner make right. sure you're not missing any signs so wow what a jumble that's right it is a jumble and i think it's a super tall order and then when you get people that are dissociative in any way because they've suffered childhood trauma whether it was emotional abuse you know high levels of criticism you're not mm-hmm. doing it right mm-hmm. and you know they're afraid and they're tracking the other person because they want to make sure it's okay mm-hmm. or they're so out of their bodies because they were sexually abused then you get into all of these very, very gray areas. Yeah. And so this is where I think, and because I'm moderate in a lot of areas of my life, mm. that each person has to be responsible for their own orgasm, their own pleasure, their own stop, their own go. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, if somebody is super traumatized, they don't have a no. Mm. They didn't get to say no 
Um, if a young girl was seven, eight years old or boy was being sexually abused at that age, their no was taken from them. That's correct. Yeah. So what what do you recommend to a person like that? I imagine it's not a light switch. You can't tell them one thing no. and suddenly things are different. How does somebody work on that if they find themselves, if they, if they identify with what you're saying, what do they do? Well, I think the conversations with the sexual partner on the front end are very important. And in the kink community, they, are, they don't think of consent as, um, okay, stop now. They mm. think of consent on the front end has to be what they call a hell yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, can I tie you up with ropes? Hell yeah. Yeah. Can I flog you? Hell no. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have the conversations as you're getting to know someone yeah. as part of foreplay and someone to say, you know what? My uncle sexually abused me repeatedly. And so when um, a guy's on top of me and I catch the glimpse of his neck in a particular way, I completely freeze. Yeah. So you have to keep eye contact with me. Or I have to be on top of you. Like knowing what's really true. Mm. And, and and here's another barrier. It's being able to get through the shame yeah. and say, this is really shameful for me. Yeah. I don't want to tell you this. I'm so embarrassed to tell you this. If I tell you, you might say, you know what? Forget it. It's too much yeah. work. I don't want to tell you to stop right now, but my whole body and brain really need that right now. That's right. But I'm saying even the conversation before sex. Ah, I see. Right. Yeah. To say, I have herpes. Like everybody cringes. Nobody wants to say that. Sure. Or I have sexual trauma. And, exactly. Um, so this is what I would need from you. This is what I would like from you because they're afraid he or she will leave or That's feel right. like you're too much. So I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. And what we're basically asking people to do is have this astronomical amount of courage mm-hmm. to to go against the grain of what is expected these days, especially with young people with their phones and their swiping and their Tinder. Right. To actually have that courage to do things differently as protection to themselves or the little kid inside of them that or the trauma that they went through. So I think it's a call to arms, albeit I just want to acknowledge a really big one that mm-hmm. I think would be difficult. And I want to uh, share with you something I read this morning. An article came out last week where apparently in the UK, they have a, in Britain, they have a new law that says if someone presents and says they were raped to the police they are now required to give them their cell phone and passwords to all of their social media account so that the police can investigate and look through all that went before whatever transpired wow so um that's problematic in a lot of ways yeah it is it's the person who wrote this article basically said that a flirty text messages can Mm -hmm. become the new quote-unquote short skirt and that basically exactly what you were saying earlier that consent from earlier that day even if you sent a a text saying i want you to come over and fuck me tonight right that does not imply consent when it actually happens no it doesn't because that could be a euphemism of of course and and it could be literal and just not be true then later that night that's right and also that doesn't mean that that person was the rapist that's right if somebody gets raped they could be walking down the street and somebody assaults them that they don't know at all yep so they say about they estimate 15 percent of rape victims come forward in the uk and of course they're estimating with this new law it's going to be much less right nobody will come forward right they say if you're not willing to turn that over they might not investigate the crime which is heartbreaking to me and makes me really angry well right this is why women feel like there's a war against women yeah you know that there's now a battle of the sexes 
in a whole different way where this is just saying, you know, you're female, so tough luck, and you probably brought it upon yourself. Yeah. Um, and if you got pregnant, you know, it's your fault. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, we know that men are, you know, almost 100% responsible for pregnancies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because right. they're more fertile than women are. They're mm. fertile 24-7, women mm. like two days out of the month. That's right. So this is all topsy-turvy right now. Yeah. So what can a man do if he's in a sexual situation that he thought was consensual and in the aftermath it's brought to his attention that his partner, whoever he had sex with, did not find it consensual? Does that happen? Yeah, it does happen. And I mean, it can be very blindsiding and highly destructive, you know, to the male when that happens. Um, I think in that moment, he's going to have to, my, my guess is for some men, uh, they're going to feel an extreme amount of fear in that moment. I imagine. Right? Their nervous system is going to be on fire because now they're in trouble for something they didn't know they weren't supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so that, again, would require a very long and reasonable conversation about what happened and I'm so sorry I missed that. Mm, and I think mm-hmm. that, um, and some people are probably going to scream when they hear this, but mm. in terms of safety and protecting oneself, it's about having empathy for presumably the female, if this is a heterosexual dyad, mm-hmm. and falling on your sword and saying, you know what, I missed that. I didn't see it. I'm so sorry. Uh, what can I do to make this okay for you? I can't wow. take back what just happened, mm-hmm. um, but I can be here for you. Wow. Right, well, and that's if, powerful. And then if you feel like you need to cry or fall apart or scream right now, I'm going to hang out for that. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that you are okay. Mm. And then, you know, what do you think happened um, that I missed the cues? Yeah. And I have to ask myself, what could I have done better to see your cues? Yeah. Because maybe it was dark. I didn't feel your body shifting and changing. I'm so sorry I wasn't paying attention. But again, you know, if the man is moving towards orgasm, there's going to be very little of those capacities online in his brain. Is that why you think in general that men miss or disregard these signals that they should be seeing is because they're just they're not in that part of their brain that would be looking for them? I think that's part of it. And also partially we've never had these kind of conversations before where we're both responsible for what's happening. Mm, mm. I don't like this idea that male should be solely responsible for tracking the female and figuring out what she wants. And if he misses the cues and somehow he is the assailant, mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair at all. Okay. I, I do think this is a both and conversation. Yes. There's an us in this. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think back to your uh, statement about courage. I think this requires courage, but also incredible vulnerability. Ability and the willingness to not get what you want. You know, if you've got some fantasy idea about this guy or this girl or this female, um, and all of a sudden you get a message or a sign that this isn't going to work out, mm-hmm. heed that message. Yeah. So often we override it. It's like, well, that person's a jerk, but they're hot. Yes. It's like, okay, well, who's the dummy here then? (laughs) Me, because I'm overriding. Now, if I override it because I think, okay, this guy's a jerk. I'm going to have sex with him anyway uh, because I'm so into whatever he's about. And on the back end, I'm going to suffer a little bit because I'll probably never hear from him again. Then I know that I am making that deal. Yes. And I can't blame him for being who he is. Yeah. And and I would say this 
the same thing on on let's say for men that a man would have to be willing to sacrifice the quote-unquote trophy because it's like if i'm in bed with the person i'm attracted to mm-hmm. my ego wants to know later that night or the next day that i had sex with somebody that there's some sort of a validation about it that a man can interpret it that way right and being able to being able to forego that minuscule or very very um temporary validation in order to actually just be with another human being instead of just getting what he needs right then and there right how much does modern day free streaming pornography play into what we're talking about well i don't know how much consent we see in porn oh Um, yeah i think you know the opening shot is typically the opening shot the money shot Mm -hmm. as it were Mm -hmm. and um there's a lot of argument about this both from um, adult actors and then those that study adult films and the data is kind of all over the map there are plenty of adult actors today who say look i chose this profession i love it i make money Um, i'm happy with it nobody's got a gun to my head Mm And like every single profession, there's a bell curve. There are plenty of females who are trafficked into this work that are on drugs, that are not necessarily there because they want to be, or they're there because they are, you know, severely traumatized and they just didn't know what else to do with themselves. Mm -hmm. So where is consent in, you know, the process of making the films to begin with? And then consent is not ever really modeled in those films. It's not a thing. Uh, in that, That's right. That that in heterosexual porn, the woman has implied consent in the in the way the best of the performers mm-hmm. uh, convey a feeling of uh, I'm all I want this. I always want this. That's I want right. this now. I'll want it in five minutes. I'll want it tomorrow. Right. This is heaven to me. I crave it. And then there's of course many different branches and types of fetishes of pornography exactly. but there are those where consent is part of the, uh, the lack of consent is part of the turn on that's and right I, i'm afraid that that feeds some unresolved issue in inside of the people who are watching it somehow that gives them consent that this is what women really want because well, it's shown that way. right it's either unresolved issue or it's permission permission to say this is what women want yeah. i mean i had a woman I talked to a number of years ago that wanted to interview me and she worked for a major pornography magazine and she was 27 years old and she told me she didn't go out with guys in their 20s anymore. And I asked mm. her why and she said, because they all want to come on my face on the first date. Wow. And that's what I said, wow, because that's what they see in porn. That's yes. what they think women want. Yes, And of so course. maybe some women think that's super hot because they right. want to feel that, you know, feeling that energy. It gives them power. Maybe they like shame, humiliation, whatever their gig is. Mm-hmm. But that conversation needs to be had yes, right that the right bat. there is a consent situation that's right as opposed to a foregone conclusion that's right. um because some guy's been watching porn since he was eight or yeah. 16 and he just thinks this is what all women want because yeah. he's never asked a woman whether that's true or not right he thinks that that's how sex ends so how does this factor into that there's on this show i talk about healthy masculinity like a new healthy masculinity mm-hmm. and, and the different pillars are First of all, being strong, meaning strong in myself that you insulting me or or me taking a hit in my ego isn't going to blow me over onto the street. Like I can be rooted. I can be grounded in who I am. Not fragile like some of the people we see in politics these right, days. Right, yeah. Another one is being vulnerable, which is a misnomer in my opinion, because if I'm open enough to share with you that I am hurt, that I have shame inside of me, that there are places inside of me that don't feel strong and confident and quote-unquote masculine as we Mm. see out on on television or or the movies throughout the decades. 
that I am strong enough inside of myself to know I know there are places inside of you that hurt. I know there are places inside of me that hurt. And I'm going to share that with you. That, I think, is a masculine quality. Right. There was a an NBA game recently where it ended abruptly. The series ended and both teams were on the edge of winning and then won one. And one of the stars, this big hulking man, cried on the court who mm. had lost. And right. one of the men from the opposing team who had just won and was now going on to the next round hugged him oh, and just beautiful. sat talking in his ear. It was like right. this beautiful manly pep talk. And the and a very famous basketball uh-huh. player continued crying as he walked down the hall. I thought it was fucking beautiful. Yeah. I loved it. And right. some people I heard say, well, you know, usually there's not a camera in your face, but bless his heart. Right. And, and yeah. I think he advanced masculinity. For sure. And another, a huge part of masculinity, in my opinion, and this is part of what we're talking about, is compassion and empathy mm-hmm. to actually take the perspective of another person and not assume that because what I grew up and thinking was right or knowing was right is right for everybody. It's just not true. Right. So yet another enormous question that we'll just do our best to talk about in the time we have is what is toxic masculinity as you define it as you see it versus healthy masculinity and what and maybe there are other things you would add to what healthy masculinity is well i want to start by saying that masculinity has multiple definitions and mm-hmm. it's not it's about the masculine gender yeah. Right. It's a noun or a pronoun or an adjective. It's about a male person. And so it's about having qualities that are usually associated with males. But women have masculine um, features and qualities and energies to them, just as nature has feminine and masculine qualities yeah. to it. Yeah. So we're talking about energies. And there are studies that show also that the people that are most integrated are people that are more androgynous. Okay. Right? They're mm. not extreme to one end or the other mm. because that extreme is negating an essential part of ourselves, as yes. you're saying, that this vulnerability in the masculine is actually quite powerful. Yes, and strong. Right. And the masculine is there to protect, mm-hmm. and the feminine is there to serve. Yes. And these are laws Not of to be confused nature. with men versus women. That's We're talking right. about energies within everybody. Or saying. domination and submission. Yes. Exactly. And there are times I know this is true for me, and I'm I'm sure this is true for you too, where you're aware I'm drawing on my more masculine energy in this moment, and over here I'm drawing on my more feminine energy. Right. Because that's what the situation calls for, or that's what's just coming up naturally sure. inside of me. Right. Yeah, and I think we all do that all day long, depending yeah. on what the circumstances demand of us. Mm-hmm. But I think people that are more integrated are less threatened by that. Ah. So they're less threatened by a female in power <laughs> or a male who is, you know, crying on a basketball court we just see it as the human condition and that we all have all of these expressions so i think masculinity it's not static and it varies from person to person absolutely um and it's about you know expressions is Mm. is what we're talking about really but you asked about the toxic and i think that's a term that broadly impacts our culture Mm -hmm. and i think it gets very entrenched and again it creates this bifurcation in marginalized people, you know, people of color, uh, people of lower socioeconomics. And that's what we're seeing across the board sociopolitically now is that the people that are marginalized are going to suffer the most at the hands of this toxic masculinity and patriarchal Mm. heavy-handedness we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. And the most egregious physical violence 
on men is committed by other men. Mm, And we also see this back to the pornography that you're talking about. Like in these news groups, a lot of porn is made for men by men. And in a lot of these groups, there's this whole homosocial conversation that goes on, especially with this group called incels, uh, men that are involuntarily celibate, where there's a lot of rage against the feminine. So there's this hyper-violent masculinity that's really disowned and dissociated from the feminine. Wow. So at its worst, you know, that's when it's extreme. The toxicity is extreme. Yes. So it's, I hate... Well, tell me if this is if this is along the lines of this anger toward the feminine, which is I so reject and hate the feminine inside of me that I'm going to look out in the world and reject the feminine outside. I think that's true, and I think that's where homophobia comes from. Also, yeah. that heterosexual men have a hard time with homosexual men because gay men are not women; they're men, um, and they have a strong feminine aspect to their sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, if if a male hasn't spent time with another male like that, they get very confused about it, mm-hmm. and they don't like the feeling of um, attraction mm-hmm. uh, to whether it's you know they like what the guy's wearing, mm-hmm. and that's where the hatred and the rage starts to roil up. Like I shouldn't even have to deal with that because it's too confusing for me. Wow. So you're talking about disowned parts of self mm-hmm. and and I hate anything feminine inside of me or I hate the thought that there could be anything weak or vulnerable inside of me. Right. So I'm going to project it and hate it in someone else. And in the incel community, the word that's flashing in my head in neon lights is entitlement. Oh, yeah. That they believe, from what I understand, that the government or someone should provide prostitutes for them that they're entitled to sex from women because because I'm a man and I should have that. It confounds me. And, and right. I, 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 so I feel, I don't know how to feel about that. I certainly... Well, I mean, that resentment um, um, or that entitlement is born out of deep resentment. Mm-hmm. You know, something deeply went wrong a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then people are able to find their tribes. Um, just like, you know, there are people that you know, are involved in sort of white supremacy groups where they attack and brutalize people that are different as a way to belong to a tribe, to feel like they belong to someone somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so there's a self-righteousness with that. But we know from every single mythological story or, you know, epic stories that the person that is the most evil in these stories are the ones that harbor the greatest resentments. Yes. Um, and we're seeing that in Game of Thrones right now. Yes. We've seen it in Star Wars. We've seen it in mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in Lord of the Rings. I yeah. mean, every great story has an evil character, and they became evil because of their resentments. Yeah, it's eating away at them That's on the right. inside. Are there other aspects of toxic masculinity that you would touch upon? Um, well, I think that's the main thing, is mm-hmm. that um, you know it's when it... When males become uh, feel like they're being victimized or wronged or hurt, and they don't have a language for talking about it the way and you're talking to be vulnerable, um, to have a conversation with, and they weren't also didn't weren't raised that way. Sure. 
we are going to keep raising men that are essentially brutal to themselves and to others around them. That's right. And really, that's unfortunate because we have these giant brains, these prefrontal cortexes, which make us uniquely human and have the capacity for empathy and compassion and for men empowered to empower and, you know, help the weak and the marginalized. But it seems like we're, you know, raising a more limbic culture right now mm-hmm. where it's much more of the reptile brain that's in front row and center yeah and we're not using our capacity for reason and our capacities for kindness so is the way out of that just simply to have people keep writing keep publishing keep filming things that are bringing that type of what, yeah. what i would call very healthy humanity right uh, healthy femininity healthy masculinity and just keep modeling it for those who want to gravitate toward it who look at that or experience it with another person and say holy shit that feels good i think it, it's not just about having these um conversations uh, you know in books and podcasts and writing so that we're not in an echo chamber with like-minded people yeah. but it's about the man on the street has an opportunity if they see another guy that's getting inappropriate with another guy like starting to pick a fight and saying you know what dude you don't have to go there yeah or if they're catcalling a female to stop and say that's actually not cool that's yeah. an invasion of her privacy yeah um and also working with our boys you mm. know what kind of men are we raising yeah how do we teach boys to not be so afraid of loving other boys yeah. and having deep friendships and intimate conversations that yes. that doesn't quote make them gay God right. forbid. Yes. Um, right. But that it's just about being well-rounded and, and integrated, as you were talking about. I have two friends of mine. We meet once a month. We have dinner. We've been friends for maybe 10 years or so. And I was just thinking about it. We talk about very deep, meaningful things. But in this last couple, about a week ago, we met. And we were talking about such beautifully vulnerable things, mm-hmm. asking, oh, do you experience rejection in these situations? Yeah. Do you feel shame? Yeah. And we weren't, we didn't decide to do that. We didn't say, okay, let's talk about rejection or shame. <laughs> right. But we wa- I walked away from that by myself to my car thinking, that felt so manly. Wow. That felt so masculine. And it's mm-hmm. not the first time. It just felt so masculine for three men to be sitting there talking about things that are deep and meaningful and personal, but not... Without any pretense of, I need to make sure you know I'm tough and strong. Uh, right. It, it's a, and it's a beautiful connecting thing. And I think I agree with what you're saying. It Person to person is how, like the starfish on the beach uh, old story where the guy, there's 10,000 starfish washed up on the beach. And two men are walking down and one of them picks one up to throw it back in the water. And the other guy says, why are you doing that? You can't possibly make a difference to all these starfish. And he says, I can make a difference to this one. Right. And that's how it starts with us, I think. Can we be that way with other people? That's right. And I think we have to move from this uh, sexual conquest model into a model that has more to do with common decency. Yeah. Um, because I think if we aspire to something higher than you know what the law dictates with sexual mm-hmm. harassment or how we treat each other, and we look at what are the common sense values we can all relate to, like yeah. respect and dignity and decorum and kind-heartedness, <sighs> what kind of collective conversations can we have about dignity? Just like you're saying, well, I got together with two male friends over dinner. You know, it, can people that are listening to this conversation do the same? Yes. Uh, right? Both male and female. Female. Can yes. you take a risk? Can you be vulnerable with your group, peer group, yep. and start to say, how can we think about this issue differently? Yes. It's not about right or wrong, right. or these are the rules. 
It's about what kind of human being do I want to be? That's right. Am I in my integrity? What do I want to model for the world? And I love the starfish analogy. That's Mm -hmm. perfect. Mm -hmm. If you can just change the way you behave, then that's a way of living by example. That's right. And kids see that example. Other adults see that example. And I think some of the time, Neil Donald Walsh said, I I love quoting this, um, a leader doesn't say, follow me. A leader says, I'll go first. And that's mm. my charge to right. men and women, but mostly for the men that I work with and the men who listen to this podcast as well. Can you be the one that brings this up with your peer group? Can you bring the one, this topic you and I are talking about or any topic? Can you be the one that talks about something where you felt sad or ashamed or hurt? And can you dip your foot in that water? And if your friends hate that and reject you for it, then I would say, okay, mm-hmm. you might evaluate what those friendships are about. Do you want to leave those things as what they are? Or do you want to change that and cultivate different friendships where people do want more of you? Right. So I think that kind of covers it, that we're talking about being a humanitarian, Mm -hmm. practicing common decency, being in your dignity and respecting others. And also, I think, you know, letting your principles guide you Mm. and what you were talking about too is like showing your shadow side by saying i get rejected i don't feel so masculine in these situations and asking for help yeah i've seen those models from time to time and i take that as an invitation and that was one of the things i i think i was blinded to the other side when i watched the gillette commercial and then saw all of the blowback from it. No, that was unbelievable. It was shocking to me. And I've talked to people who are very centrist on this. I'm not. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I watched that, it was like, it's exactly what my pitch for the show is. A lot's going right. Right. Yeah. A lot's going wrong. How do we fix it? How do we just be better than we were yesterday? Sure. And I saw it as a call to arms. I didn't feel insulted. Sure. I'm a man and I fucked up and I've made mistakes in the past. Right. But I don't watch that commercial and feel ashamed or that they're trying to shame my gender. I think it was like, let's aspire to be something better. Let's all of us aspire to be something better than we've been. Exactly. And I think women have to call themselves forward in the same ways by Mm. asking themselves, you know, in what ways do I buy into the patriarchy? Mm. You know, how do I comport myself? Because there's this thing that women do where, you know, we sexualize ourselves sometimes pretty intensely Mm -hmm. because we know that that's the rules of engagement to get ahead in the world. Wow. You know, because female lawyers, doctors, other white collar professionals know what the gig is in the corporate world. And if you're hot and you're sexy and they also want to have sex with you, then the chances are you're probably going to get ahead a little bit more than Mm. the person who's maybe not as attractive. And so the women um, kind of wrap this around their necks in a particular way. But how can, you know, she look at or not silently condone the problem, the very problem that's violating her. Yeah. And I think that's what we as women have to consider when we're out in the world and what we can also teach our girls as well. Well, I love what you're saying. And the saddest part of all of that is it's what little girls and little boys have seen since since they were little, right, frankly. Sure. So it's what, it's like the fish in the water. It's like, it's what, it's the world they grew up in and the expectation they put on themselves. So I have two final questions for you. It's one for women, one for men, but you were just talking about women, so why don't we start there? Okay. What is one thing right now, big or small, whether it takes years or whether it takes five seconds, that a woman listening right now could do to move herself forward towards the type of energy that you're talking about? Well, how 
I would I would pose the question to women is that how can you stand in your power in your dignity in your integrity without choking off your femininity wow because that's the message that we got in the 70s right I mean if some people listening remember Annie Hall she put mm-hmm. on a tie and you know and went to work in men's clothing yeah. um, of course she developed this very cool style over time <laughs> but um, I'm not saying that women have to lock down their femininity mm-hmm. um, how do you express your femininity while also standing in your power right. that's really the challenge I think for women mm. and it's you know and for men empower how can they empower women without being seductive or feeling weak or like they're going to lose something yeah how can they first of all own their part in how they have played into this patriarchal society Mm -hmm. as women must as well just understand how did i collude with what i didn't even realize i was doing but also for men to be aware of the power dynamics because they exist it's like people saying there's no such thing as racism anymore Mm -hmm. that there is a power dynamic there has been between genders it exists and how can i bring my as a man be in my masculine as you said about women and my feminine energy that's right how can i receive how can i love how can i be open-hearted and see us as a whole and be like i said earlier empathetic that you don't have it like me and what might that be like that's right and i think that was also Mm -hmm. one of the of the 70s is that women started raising their boys by eliminating their assertion and their aggression, right? So we got all these sort of soft men or men that had been whittled down that were not in touch with their masculinity. So if men are inherently masculine, they're inherently aggressive, assertive, protective, we're not saying get rid of that. We're saying hold on to that. But do not negate the vulnerable, the kind, the compassion, because that makes a whole man. And likewise for women, you know, it's not about eradicating your femininity so you have to hide your sexuality Mm. or your beauty, which is powerful in the same way a man's power is powerful. But how do you own your sexuality instead of it owning you and leaking out all over the place? So that your your power is your dominion. It's not about yeah. domination. Yes. Um, and then you've got two people meeting each other from a very different vantage point. Mm. So you were talking about courage and vulnerability and around the matter of consent. Yeah. And one of the things I think is really important, as I said before, is that we all have to take responsibility for our own sexuality. Mm. And I think we have to be our own best lovers. Ooh. Right? We're always looking for the lover. Yeah. But if you are the lover, if you are the beloved, um, and you know what you need, what turns you on, what gets you aroused, why be stingy about that? Mm. Why not share that with someone else? I mean, I guess, first of all, you have to know what that is, especially women, because women have so many nooks and crannies when it comes to sexuality. But knowing what kind of touch you like, pressure, um, if you like sex toys, what kind, why, whatever you're into, you have to know that yourself first, and yeah. then you've got to be able to communicate it with confidence so that you are taking responsibility of your sexuality and your sexual pleasure and your sexual experience. Wow. I am so in love with what you just said and the phrase that comes to my mind for everybody to say to the little kid inside of them or mm-hmm. the adult that they are is, what I like, what turns me on is good. Yeah, that's right. I own it. It works for me. I don't have to be ashamed of it. Can I 
love that part of myself mm. so that I can let other people know. And in that way, I can be safer in any sexual situation because I'm being as communicative as I possibly can. Right. Yeah. Wow. That is an invitation, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Alex, I got to be honest, you are fucking awesome. Thank you. I could go on talking to you for five hours, but we have to wrap up. Uh, you are quite Googleable, of course, mm-hmm. but if somebody hears you and says, I want more of this woman and what she does, how do they find you? Well, uh, go to centerforhealthysex.com and there you will find my own podcasts and books and services that we offer at Center for Healthy Sex at 310-843-9902. Brilliant. Thanks so much for being with us, Thank Alex. you, Greg. Okay, so what now? First, Let's acknowledge that none of this stuff is necessarily easy to talk about with people in our lives. It can be awkward. We can face rejection, but we can also open ourselves up to the safest and most satisfying sexual situations. We need to talk about what we're into when we're moving into a new sexual situation with a partner, even if that's awkward to do. It beats the hell out of the alternative, which is to be in bed with someone who doesn't know that there are things that you want or need in order to feel safe. And I suggest that men check in with their sexual partners before, after, hell, maybe even during a sexual encounter. It might feel less sexy, but it's a hell of a lot safer for both partners. Alex recommends the enormously courageous feat of speaking your boundaries during a sexual encounter if things feel wrong to you or if your decision of consent has changed. Of course, this can be a very difficult or awkward interaction because we all want our sexual partners to be happy with us, to like us, and to think well of us. And if you are with a partner who has the courage to express that to you, listen to them Stop immediately and let that become an intimate conversation about what is going on for them. This is not a short order, but it just might lead to the best and safest sexual interactions for all parties. For men who are sexual with women, understand that women's arousal is more nuanced than yours. And just because a new partner is enjoying foreplay with you, it doesn't mean that she wants sex right now. It's necessary and important to check in with our partners, especially new partners, to make sure that we're on the same page and pay attention to hesitations or facial expressions that might indicate that she would be happier not moving forward in that moment. This respects her process, and secondarily, it can build a feeling of safety that might lead to a much more fulfilling sexual encounter for her, whether that's now or in the future. Let's fully open up our empathy for our sexual partners and what they've been through. We have not been through the same things that our partners have been through. Let's learn from them. And while we're at it, let's expand our empathy for all people. Let's acknowledge when there are power differentials in any situations, whether work or personal, and do what we can to make sure that everyone is valued, heard, and respected. And finally, as Alex encourages us to do, let's be our own best lovers so that we know ourselves sexually and we can communicate that to our partners. If that seems like too enormous of a task, then consider going to see a professional who specializes in sexuality or sexual trauma and begin the courageous work of opening up to your own loving and to healing those wounded places. Be respectful. Pay attention. Open your mind and your heart to others and keep bringing out all of your loving to yourself and to the rest of the world. See you soon. 
Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P-O-D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.